You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome back to Inside Mountain Bike Radio. I'm your host, Ben Welnack, and with me is 21-time Iceman finisher, Brian Motter. Today, we're going to talk about this year's Iceman. Like I said, he's done it 21 years, finished first four times. We're going to touch on a little bit of Schwam- start with Schwamigan 40, um, just get a, a couple details about that, uh, talk a little bit about Ordashore, not too much, and then talk about this year's Iceman. I want to talk about those other two because if you're not familiar with those races, it's a big deal to win all three. Uh, they call it the trip. Everyone kind of just calls it the triple crown. And it's a, it's a huge deal because there's a ton of racers, top notch talent. And Brian was oh so close this year. So I want to, I want to hit on that. And then we'll talk about this year's Iceman. So Brian, thank you for joining me. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, old, if you're new to the show, which we do have a lot of new listeners, if you're listening on iTunes or on the app, welcome. If you're, uh, Old listener, I keep saying old listeners, but uh, people that have been tuning in for a while, you know that Brian's been a guest on the show several times, I think, now. Um, so it's pretty cool to, to stay in touch and keep up what's going on. And, you know, Brian, you always get a mention on Todd Nutter's on the Wars Report. So you're always <laughs> you're always a topic of discussion on there, too. So thank you. Uh, thanks for taking the time. So 21 years. It's a long time. Yeah, 21 years. Yeah, <laughs> so it's my been... first one, 1993 was my first one. Um, somewhere in there, I missed one in the middle, maybe around 2000 or 2001. Okay. Um, I was living out in Arizona, and I didn't make the trip back. Okay. Yeah, uh, 21 times of Iceman. Yeah. So well... I'm pretty proud of that just in itself. Yeah, I would say, first of all, congratulations, because that... I mean, I, we'll talk about the wins because that's really cool. But like you said, I think the, the 21 years of competing at pretty much the, near the top every time, I mean, that's, there's something to say about that. So we'll talk about that. Let's talk about that in a little bit. I want to back up to Shawamigan, talk, or just talk briefly about Ordashore, but more specifically Shawamigan, the Shawamigan 40, uh, the finish. Sure. Because you yeah. you know that race, you're a pretty tactical racer. You're a smart guy. I mean, you're not, you know, you, people always say, oh, he's so fast, he's so fast. But if you really pay attention, uh, listeners, Brian, he he's very smart about how he races. He knows what he can and can't do. He knows what everybody else. It seems like he knows what everyone else can and can't do. So he's always he's always able to mix it up that way. And at the end of this year, Schwam again, it came down to. It seems like all the time, all these races come down to some kind of sprint finish. But take us through the last few miles of this year's Schwamigan 40. Sure. I mean, like you said, exactly like all these Triple Crown races, Orshore, Schwamigan, and Iceman, they're super tactical racing. They're high speed mountain bike racing. And I think just my experience, you know, 21 Iceman's. 10 plus Schwamagans, 10 plus Ordashores, that's 40 plus high speed, very tactical point to point races. And I think it's just that experience. So this year at Schwamagan, um, basically three guys off the front from the Sealy Fire Tower with about eight miles to go. Um, 
Jeremiah Bishop was being one of them. And he was probably the guy I was most concerned with. You know, he's got some great results. He's a very good rider. Um, so Jeremiah and I were playing the tactical battle. And maybe with less than two miles to go, um, I think we were playing too much of the tactics game. And a group of six or seven riders caught us. Yeah, it definitely had me nervous. But again, I've been in that last two miles in the group on 10 different occasions and I've seen it go down every single way from riders going off the front to riders coming from seventh wheel and taking the win. And, um, and I pushed the pace just enough on one of the final climbs, um, to get Jeremiah and I some separation and, you know, kind of flicked Jeremiah through and I'm really surprised that he came through, but he came through kind of on one of the last, false flats, so I had a good half mile to sit behind him and recover. He hit it really hard up the final climb, but not hard enough to drop me. And then there's a really high speed section kind of going, traversing across the hill before the final dip into the finish line. And Jeremiah was out of the saddle, full speed ahead, and right before dropping into the bowl, he sat down, you know, he stopped this and sat down. And that was my cue. Like as soon as he sat down, I accelerated, got a little bit of the gap, went into the bowl first, and then just, you know, held my line. There's a big sweeping left, a big sweeping right. So I just went, you know, straight line from the left to the right to the finish line and was able to uh, hold off Jeremiah. Is there been oh, a... My sixth Chihuahuagon win. Yeah, that's, it's fantastic. Congratulations on that. It... It's pretty cool because it seemed like you knew exactly you've or like it seems like you've been in that exact situation. Was there another time at Schwamigan that you were in that same situation or was it just knowing the court or knowing that end part you knew exactly what you could you could do? Had you been in that yeah, situation? Yeah, I think just Yeah, I I was really patient. You know, I wasn't nervous at all in that last mile when it was just Jeremiah and I. I would and, and my first Schwamagon win, I actually packed Tilford in the bowl. So, you know, it's come down okay. to even closer in previous times. So being very patient, just waiting for that moment and knowing what my fitness can do at that moment. So, you know, I knew if, if I passed Jeremiah right there at the top, I could hold him off to the finish. Mm-hmm. Um I wasn't quite sure, you know, if I waited any longer, I wasn't quite sure if I'd be able to pass him once we got down on that descent mm-hmm. and up to speed. So just knowing the course, that once you drop into the bowl, you're carrying some pretty good speed and knowing, you know, if you hug the fence to the left and diagonal straight across and hug the fence to the right, it's really hard to get around somebody there. Yeah, and, and listeners, I think there's something you need to take away from that. Where a lot of you, you know, you're going out, you're cranking as hard as you can, and you go through those type of races. If it took Brian the fact of watching Jeremiah actually just sit down briefly for him to attack and make a difference between finishing second and first in that type of event. So if that gives you the little, if that gives you an idea of all little details that go into doing this, you know, doing these type of races and being near or at the top, out of 40, you know, 40 different times, I think that's some pretty good, 
<laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. It's I mean, cool. Yeah. It really, it, that came down to one pedal stroke. Mm-hmm. You know, at the perfect time, Jeremiah sat down, and in that process of from standing to sitting, you know, that is exactly what I was looking for to make my move. So it was a tenth of a second in a two-plus-hour race at 20-plus miles per hour. It came down to that moment where yeah. I kind of made my decision to go. Yeah, and, and that's something that obviously comes with experience, but that's also something that I don't think, I think that's something you're kind of born with too. You have that natural ability. You're just a natural athlete and you know when to yeah. attack and when not to. Yeah, I think instinct, yeah. you know, instinct kind of takes forever well. You know, I, in a way, that was kind of my game plan. Like, this is going to be the last spot you can go is across this false flat. But, you know, where I think experience paid off is that patience going across that false flat. Yep. I didn't go to across that false flat. I waited for that very last second for Jeremiah actually slowed down before I took off. Yeah, no, that's, it's cool. And it was good to see, it was good to see Jeremiah up there too. He, I mean, he was really, seems like he's the kind of guy, like he was just pushing, 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 pushing. Um, so it was kind of interesting to see how that all played out at the end. So let's let's yeah. talk about back a little bit. Talk about Or to Shore. So you got eked out again on that race. Um, yeah. So talk about how that goes down because for listeners, if you're not familiar with Or to Shore, it's a fantastic race up in uh, Marquette, Michigan, in August. Ton of people. I think all said and done, I think there's like two thousand racers that show up to to all the distances, and it's another one like we mentioned, uh, fast, like twenty miles an hour over the forty eight miles. Um, all packs and it always comes down to a pavement, like, I don't know, even know it was a half mile pavement finish sprint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so take us through that last section. You jump out on, uh, there's like a kind of a, a little trail that kind of goes along apartment buildings and your houses and apartment buildings yeah. before you dump out on that. Take us through that yeah, last section left. when you guys dump out of that trail onto that kind of the flat, you know, next to the houses, take us through that sure. whole process yeah. to the end. One one last little two-track kind of covered in wood chips that is, you know, probably an old snowmobile trail that brings you back into town. And it spits you out on pavement. It kind of goes back through um, Northern Michigan University in Marquette. and weaves its way through to the finish line, which is at the ice hockey arena. Um, and, yeah, it's the last eight miles of Order Shore is basically downhill from about 800 feet elevation down to uh, Lake Superior. So super high speed, uh, very easy to draft, very difficult to drop somebody. If you do, it's very difficult to stay away by yourself. Um, So, yeah, I basically went down the same that has the last three years, and that's me and Cole House being the two strongest guys. there was three other guys with us this year, Tristan, Jordan Wakeley, Corey Spelgis. Um, fortunately for us, Corey kind of bobbled in the last little sand hole before that two-track leading into the finish. And, um, yeah, it was basically Cole and I battling it out on the pavement again. And um, this time I kind of found myself as being the stronger rider, and Cole was sitting on my wheel. Um, like in that awkward scenario where there's three guys going from behind, 
and then Cole sitting on my wheel. So I was kind of like stuck pulling because I didn't want three guys catching us and having to sprint with five guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the last couple of years, Cole has been on the front and done this massive ramp up with his road power um, and beating in the sprint. And this year I was kind of doing the massive ramp up, but Cole still, Cole still got around me um, in the last corner at the finish line. Well, you still did a damn good job, so there's nothing to be. Yeah. I'm sure you're not too, I mean, you're obviously, you know, like motivated, but you're not going to go home crying about it. I mean, you're. No, no. I mean, it was a good race. Yeah. I feel like I was really on form. I feel like I did everything I could to try to win. Um, it's just a finish that really suits Cole. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, looking back on it, that sprint was the difference in winning all three triple crown races actually 10 years later from when I did it back in 2004. So that was kind of my goal um, this year, an unspoken goal. I thought it would have been really sweet to win the triple crown again 10 years later. Yeah, it, it seems it like, happen. yeah, <laughs> it was, well, it keeps you motivated for another Something else. Right? Oh, for sure. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned 2004. So let's move on to this year's Iceman because everyone's just fresh off of it. It was a pretty crazy race with all the, the snow and the, well, not snow, but rain and cold and sleet and yeah. all that stuff. Um, yeah. And you took the win 10 years after you took your first win at Iceman. Uh, yep. four times yeah. you've won it four times and, uh, let's, man, that's I, just thinking about it, the longevity of doing it that long and having your first win 10 years ago and come back and still be in, still be in that. Take us through what, what's your secret? What, what has kept you motivated enough to be doing this first of all for 21 years and then to be racing at that high level for at least the last, you know, I mean, winning it for 10 years, um, but you know you've been racing at the, that high level for pretty much the whole twenty one. Yeah. What's your secret? What what keeps you going? I mean, I think honestly, I think it's just a true passion for racing mountain bikes. You know, when I was a kid doing my first Iceman, we we would go rip around on the trails in Pinckney, Michigan, on the Pottawatomie Trail, and we would talk about how sweet it would be to be able to travel to. California and Colorado to ride mountain bikes and it went from that dream of we didn't even know about racing then to we just wanted to go and ride and it went from that dream to almost the reality of traveling around the country traveling around the world racing bikes and there's something just really special about Iceman um, with 5,000 plus participants with the harsh conditions or at least the possibility of harsh conditions that creates these stories that are unlike any other mountain bike race um, that people are just gravitated to. And I'm the same way. I love it, whether it's dry weather um, and sunny or whether it's gnarly and snowy and muddy. Um, it's just a great story at Iceman. And, you know, it keeps me motivated to keep training and keep racing well. So, it this year's story i think is a seems like it worked out really well for you in that it leading up to the race just reading so listeners i forgot to mention in the beginning of the show if you want to read about uh what brian's been up to 
he does a pretty good job of uh, blogging about what he's been doing pretty much all year. You can go to b-modder. It's m-a-t-t-e-r dot com. So b-modder dot com, and that'll give you a good detail. He he did a pretty good write up on the Iceman, but um, you know, leading into it, it looked like you had a pretty tough week. Your your dog had some yeah. some issues and. You weren't feeling. It seemed like you, were, you know, had other stuff on your mind. So, can you just take us through yeah, what definitely. you know, leading up to it, and then the pre-ride? It looked like you were getting kind of nervous because you weren't feeling the best. Talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't. I mean, one, my dog is sick, and that's been pretty much my priority. And um, two, I crashed the Wednesday night before Iceman. I actually broke my brake lever when I was supposed to be leaving early Thursday morning. That adds a bunch of stress. Um, and three, I haven't ridden my hardtail mountain bike that much, you know, maybe ten times this year. So after crashing Wednesday night, I wasn't really confident on my bike. Um, I had some mechanical issues with my pedals. Previous weekend at a local cross race, so I was a little nervous about my pedals. Um, you know, this wasn't really focused on the race itself. I was more worried about how my legs felt, how my bike's going to work. I was making changes to my seat height and my stem height, which are all things that I never do and I would never recommend doing. Um, but I just wasn't confident. And to me, it was worth that risk of making those changes to have the confidence once I got to the start line versus sticking with a non-confident position on my bike. So I changed my stem, I changed my feet, I changed my paddles, I changed my shoes. Um, this is all, this is all like your first race. Shouldn't be doing all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's worse. (laughs) It was worse. Like, yeah, as a professional, I never do that. You know, like once my bike is set for the year, it's set, but I just knew something wasn't right. It just didn't feel good. And, um, it might have been okay if it was the dry high speed race, but with the rain and the mud and the wind, um, my position just wasn't right on my bike. So I had to make those changes. Um, I made them confident with my mechanics skills and, you know, showed up to the start line. Once they set go, I was fully confident that I was ready to go. I wasn't a hundred percent focused on the race. You know, like I said, my dog's been sick. Um, but once they say go, you just go on instinct you know, I've done it 20 times. I've done a thousand races in my career. You just know what to do once they say go. And it kind of, all those other thoughts disappear once the, once the gun goes off at the start. So once the gun goes off, who are you looking at? Who is, who do you think in your head is going to be there at the end with you? I mean, one was definitely Dan McConnell, you know, world cup racer for track factory racing. He won his only world cup in really gnarly, muddy conditions um and he's definitely the strongest mountain biker in the field uh i think lucky for me he was kind of in his off season and maybe not quite as motivated for Iceman as myself um then you got to look at defending champ jessica bush uh you got to look at previous champ jeremiah bishop who's always been on the podium uh kabush's teammates Derek zanstra Cameron Jett, you know, Derek's just coming off an awesome World Cup season. Cool house, guy who beat me at Order Shore. Um, you know, and a ton of other roadies who are super fit, a ton of other local 
Midwest guys, Mike Simonson, Jordan Wakeley, all the Wars guys. I'm, I'm pretty much looking at everybody. But same time I'm looking at everybody, I'm really just worried about myself. Proper positioning for the first single track, being smart, saving my energy, taking on my calories, taking on my fluids, um, and just doing what I have to do in the race to be in the right position to give myself an opportunity to win at the end. So getting, you know, you're, let's say you're 15, 20 minutes in, are you thinking, okay, it's going okay. I got good position. Um, bike is, bike is okay. Were you gaining any confidence yep. or were you still getting, still kind of on edge? I, no, I was like early on way different than any other Iceman because of the mud. Um, early on a selection was made and it was six guys and I was in that selection. Kabush, Finsterwald, uh, Derek Vanstra, Cole, myself, and Isaac Ness, um, who's a Wars guy who I coach. Um, so you, one of your athletes right there with you. Yeah. Usually it's Corey, so Corey, you know, that's, Corey yeah, you do too, uh, right? I do. I okay. coach Corey. Okay. Um, so Isaac was in the group. That was awesome for me. He actually bridged across, you know, super motivating in a different way. Like, Hey, that's my athlete doing this great ride. This is awesome. You know, once he was in the group, I didn't think much about that dynamic. Um, you know, I was just, again, positioning myself right. to be smart, right. taking on the fluids. But yeah, once that lead group was set and Jeremiah was missing, Dan McConnell was missing, my confidence went up a notch. Okay. And then as we progressed throughout the race, you know, I made it through the gnarly, muddy section on Dockery Road where they had just done a bunch of logging. Um, made it through there with no problems, approaching the Vasa Trail where it becomes a really tactical high-speed battle. And um, the confidence went up another notch. Okay, I made it, you know. And, and right then I'm thinking, okay, i got to beat two or three of these guys to make it on the podium. So that was my thought process. You know, make it to the podium and you had a great ride and you get a good payday. And it seemed like I was the only one being really aggressive in the race. And my thought process there was, I'm either going to be burning myself out doing all these attacks and have nothing left for the end, or I'm the strongest guy. And somewhere in there, I kind of switched thoughts to, I just got to beat a couple of these guys and make the podium, to, I might be the strongest guy in this group. I got to figure out how I can win this race. Gotcha. So before we get to the, before you take us through the last section and how it kind of played out, can you give people an idea? You mentioned the hardtail. Give people a quick rundown of what you're running. So the, the bike, the frame, the wheels, the tires, because everyone had their own thoughts as far as what they were going to run for the, for the muddy stuff. But what did you do? Yeah. So I ran uh, a hardtail 29er, um, Trek Superfly, um, Bontrager triple X wheels with a Bontrager XR2 tire, which is kind of their medium tread tire in a 2.2 width. That's actually the same tire that I used at every single race this year. Okay. So, so you don't really change it up. 50, yeah. Never change my tires. It's just a great all around tire. You know, the rocks and the cactus and Arizona and the Grand Junction off road to the super slippery mud at U.S. Pro XCT in Wisconsin and the super slippery mud at Iceman. Um, 
I was running a one by ten setup uh, with a Wolfton front ring and Shimano XDR components and brakes. Gotcha. And what kind of chain ring do you run up front on that? I was running a thirty-eight tooth ring with the standard Shimano eleven thirty-six cassette. Gotcha. So, it, listeners, if that gives you any idea how fast of a race it is, there you go. All right. So take us through yeah. that last the last Pretty section. Big gear. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, nobody runs a the epic a gear outside of something like that. Um so what yeah. uh, take yeah. us through that last section. It seemed like you had the the Canadians were right there. Take us through uh, you know the last few miles and how it went down. Yeah, so the Canadians it, it basically came down to me versus the two Canadians. It seemed like Paul was sitting on the back and Finsterwald kind of stopped his attacks and was sitting in fourth wheel. So it was me, Kabush, and Zanstra kind of rotating in the top three. He would attack, Kabush would chase me down. Zanstra would attack, I'd chase him down. Kabush would attack, I'd chase him down. I would attack, Zanstra would chase me down. So all these games going on, but nobody, luckily for me, there was never any major counterattack after I chased down one of the teammates. And, again, that was kind of inspiring my confidence. Like, these guys aren't strong enough to counterattack right now. They're only strong enough to close the gap. Um, so there's one single track before the final climb that brings you into the last, like, Iceman circuit. I battled really hard for Zanstra's wheel into that final single track um, to get around Kabush. So Zanstra was leading, I was in second, Kubush was in third through this single track. We hit the final climb up into the venue, and it's kind of a two-tiered climb. And on the second tier, again, I just felt that little slow-up by Zanstra, and I hit it as hard as I could. Um, so launched up this second tier of this climb with a little, you know, maybe two bike lengths between me and Zanstra. And I think Kabush came around Zanstra. I made a left turn into the venue where it kind of becomes like a single track slash cyclocross circuit where it weaves in and out, kind of brings you towards the finish line, loops you back out, you know, through the spectators. Then you go under a tunnel back to the finish line again. Um, pre-riding the course on Friday, I did that loop three or four times like looking for an area where you could pass or attack, and I could never quite figure it out. And then on my last loop, I realized, like, there's nowhere you can do anything here, so you have to be in the lead for this entire circuit. you got to ride from the front, and you got to ride aggressive. So when I made that attack on that final climb into that circuit, into the lead, I was very confident I could win. I just needed to not crash in the mud and... When it does open up for this 75-foot-long section, you got to be on the gas super hard and not let anybody pass you. Were there any sections where you where you um, f- kind of bobbled or felt out of control th- going through the mud, or did you were you pretty confident that whole time? I was I was pretty confident. There was a couple of riders in the previous wave who we actually caught in that single track that made me a little bit nervous. And at one point in time, Kabush tried to make a little bit of a risky pass in the single track. That made me a little bit nervous. 
Um, but he was doing everything he could to like get by me, to sprint by me. But when you're riding from the front, riding aggressively and confidently, especially in those muddy conditions, it's hard to come out of a corner a bike length behind somebody and accelerate in mud around somebody in only 50 to 75 feet of open area for passing. Right. So, you know, I just made sure I hit those corners smooth and carried my feet through them, accelerated really hard. Um, there's one final tricky single track descent and one final single track climb that had been really greasy. And, you know, I led into that and I was like, if I can just make it up this climb, I got this. <laughs> yep. And I made it up that climb and I actually took a peek over my shoulder at the top and Kabush was still three quarters of the way down to a half way down the climb. And right at that moment, I knew I had it. It was a right hand turn, bundled on the tunnel, left hand turn, finish line. So I was like, don't crash, don't crash. You got it. You so congratulations. That's that's a pretty good considering everything that was going on the week of and you know with the day before and all the stuff going on. That was great. Was that finish? So everyone you know loves that finish. Is yeah, it is exciting? Is it as exciting this twenty first time as it was the first time? It was. You know. Um, so you. They have you go through the shipping container when they first bring you into the venue, and then you loop back out and you go under the shipping container as a little tunnel. So you actually dip underground. So as I'm approaching the venue, you know, in the lead, I can hear the race announcer, oh, he's got a gap, he's going to win, and I hear the crowd get loud. I go under that tunnel underground, and it gets really quiet, and then I come out of that tunnel, about to make the final left-hand turn for the finish line, and Coming out of that tunnel was the loudest experience I've ever had on my bike. It was just this wave of noise, and it was a pretty awesome feeling um, to come across that finish line and to hit that wave of noise. Um, you know, I was, I was definitely out there thinking of my dog while I was racing and kind of doing it for him. He's been putting up a pretty big fight, so I wanted to put up the same fight Um during the race, so that was definitely pretty awesome. Yeah, no, that's it's great. The um, I I think it's really cool, you know, for all of us that weren't there to see all the different pictures and then to see the ones. I think, you know, you had mentioned coming around the corners. There's, I saw a picture of you. I think it was you being chased by Kabush or Zantra. I can't remember which one, but yeah, it, it was really cool. It was it was cool to see from afar, even. So. Yeah, yeah, so awesome. congratulations on that. Yeah, if you haven't been there, if you haven't been to that finish line, get that on your mountain bike race bucket list. It is, it's definitely an experience to do a race with 5,400 <laughs> people and to hear the war stories and to go across that finish line after uh, trudging through 30 miles of, of epic conditions, I think. Yeah. Whether you're first or last in that race, it's it's pretty amazing. You guys missed it by a day, though. It snowed the next, I think on Monday, it was all well, snow. I didn't miss it on the drive home. <laughs> oh, right. Nice. Yeah. It's a drive little slow on the drive almost home. Almost as epic as the race. Right. <laughs> um, so everybody's question is, what was your breakdown like? Have you touched it? Have you cleaned up your bike? And uh... No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so. Luckily, somebody, um, 
one of my buddies who lives in Sheboygan took my bike from me right at the finish line and he, he shined it up a little bit so we could prop it up in front of the podium. Gotcha. Um, since then it is hanging in the garage and it's pretty much back to focusing on my dog and kind of getting my cross bikes together so I can, uh, go down to Jingle Cross and try to race this weekend. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I figured. But normally, um, you know, that kind of thing. What would you – so if this was, you know, two months ago, what – you would just basically tear your whole bike down and build it back up again? Is that how – because, you know, just reading everybody's posts and comments and all that kind of stuff, people are tearing apart their bike and um, – Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, for me, with with this bike, like I said earlier, I haven't ridden this bike that much this year. Okay. So the parts were in really good condition, almost brand new going okay. into the race. So that's cool. So I don't really feel like I need to replace my headset or my bottom bracket or my derailleur pulleys. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sponsored by Pro Gold. I take super good care of my bikes all season long. Uh, except after Iceman. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the season, um, you have will, other stuff focused on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I will I will get um, some Pro Gold loving on that bike very soon, and it will be back to brand-new status really quickly. Right, exactly, exactly. So, all right, Brian, I think that'll do it. You have stuff going on, and like you said, getting re- ready for Jingle Cross, so I wish you uh, good luck on that. Awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate the uh, chat. Yeah, no problem. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in to another episode of Inside Mountain Bike Radio.